Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. This beautiful uh, Sunday after Christmas. Thanks be to God. We're in my home and having church again. It may not be the greatest weather outside, but praise be to God. We're here and together and we're serving the Lord. As I said earlier, it may be dark and dreary outside, but with Christ Jesus, we can have joy and peace and love in our hearts. Well, praise be to God. Thanks for all for joining, uh, coming into my home for Gospel Saving Church, and thank you for coming online, SoundCloud, from all over the world. God bless you. If you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, I want to ask the Lord to bless the service and help us to understand everything today before I get started. So if you guys want to bow your heads and join me in a word of prayer, please. Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord God, for all your good and many blessings, Lord. Even though, Lord, the things that we may not think are blessings, Lord, and if we're yours, Lord, we must believe, Lord, what your word says, that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Lord, so if we're yours, we have to believe, according to your word, that no matter what happens to us, you allowed it, and so you think it's good for us. So, Lord, here we are, and no matter what's going on in each one of our lives, Lord, if we belong to you, Lord, we've got to believe you. And so, Lord, thank you for all your many precious promises. Lord, please bless this message, Lord, and, and bless it to our hearts, Lord, and give our hearts and give our minds and give our understanding, the understanding to understand your word, Lord. I'm not the one that teaches, Lord. You are. Lord, your word says that your Holy Spirit is the one that enlightens us, Lord. It gives us the understanding. that helps us to understand your word. And without your spirit, Lord, none of us would understand, Lord, because flesh and blood does not reveal anything to us. So, Lord, we pray and hope, I hope and pray, Lord God, that those that are listening to this message today will hear your heart and hear what you have to say, Lord, and, and Lord, respond to whatever you say in this message here, Lord. Please move us. Move our hearts, Lord, by your Spirit. Move our hearts, Lord. Move us into action. Move us into love. Move us to repentance. Whatever we're in need of, Lord God, move us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you and we love you and we praise you, God. And we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to be studying the first 16 verses, 1 through 16 this week. So if you want to get your Bibles open, we're just going to keep going. 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 through 16. And of course, I'll read it after my thoughts from last week's message. The biblical doctrine of eternal salvation. So I was thinking on the way home from work on Monday, because I start my message preparation on Monday after the Sunday after the church service, about... The last few weeks' messages that I've covered. Now, I started thinking about the teachings of Paul. Remember how Paul was saying that, you know, inside God's church, the only way that anybody's going to get saved is what? Is how? Is by the true and biblical teaching of the correct Jesus and the true and correct teachings of the biblical doctrines, along with, you know, the biblical doctrine of, you know, the gospel, of course, you know, God's word. But, and I was saying that, you know, how there's so few people in the world that are really saved according to, you know, the, the true teachings out there. There's a lot of apostate churches. And, you know, saying this and about all that we talked about, it came to my mind that there is a small percentage of truly saved people that are going to apostate churches right now. Because I've met some. 
I've met some really, truly in love with God people, yet I know that they go to a terrible apostate church, one that teaches complete lies about the Bible and one that teaches falsities about the Bible and everything. Well, the Lord showed me how this was possible because I really didn't cover this over all these few weeks that I've been teaching about all these apostate churches and about the untrue biblical things that people are you know, lying about, you know, teaching the Bible falsely. And the Lord showed me how it was possible. And he reminded me, he showed me this before, but he, he said, you know, here, here's, here's how it is. And now I want to share it with you. So you may say, how? How in the world can a truly saved person be in a totally corrupt, unbiblical, apostate church? Well, the Lord showed me that if anyone really, really, really reads God's word, the Bible, to really seek him now. And they really cry out to God because they have an earnest desire to really know him. That even though they go to an apostate church, which teaches false teachings of the Bible and Jesus Christ, God showed me that he will still reach down and he will still save them from their sins and make them born again. So understand The reason they get saved is not because the church helped them find God, sadly. I mean, after all, that is what the church of God, or if you're a church, you know, a godly church, you're supposed to help people seek God, help people be focused on God. But rather, they're not saved because the church helped them find God. They're saved, they get saved because they really sought the Lord for themselves in His Word which is pure and holy and perfect, with all their hearts in response to His calling to them. Because Jesus said, I will die, I will be lifted up, and I will draw all men to myself. So the people that are saved are those that desire, those that, that, you know, responded to God's calling. And since God's calling everybody, we're just really those that are saved are those that responded to His calling. So now it's rare to find a person that's really saved in an apostate church, but there are a small few. I do have a small theory on that, though, I, 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 and, I, and I've actually experienced this as well, too. Um, I say, yes, somebody can get saved, you know, by, them, by their seeking the Lord with their own heart or, and them you know, reading the Word and seeking God in His Word. But I say that if they are in an apostate church and God does reach down and save them because they were seeking Him, then I would say, though, that they wouldn't be able to stay in that false church for very much longer after they were saved. I'm sure that after they get saved, meaning they get God's Holy Spirit within them, and they really start growing now in God's Word with the Holy Spirit, God's real Holy Spirit leading them and guiding them, that they would not be able to stay in this false religion anymore and and, and that Christ would lead them out. I'm not sure how long it would be before God leads them out, but I will say that I believe that God would lead a really true Christian out of an apostate church to a really true Christian church where they can learn the true biblical doctrines of the Word of God and and learn about the true biblical Jesus Christ. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, which again means anybody can come to be saved as long as they're willing to put aside themselves and put aside their own desires and and seek the Lord and His Word, no matter what church that they're in, no matter where they go. But after they're saved, I say that they will not be able to stay in that apostate church for very long. Now, sadly, 
most people in apostate churches are on their way to hell because they're not learning about the real Jesus Christ. They're not real, learning about the real Bible. So if that's you and you find yourself, you know, and you're still listening to me, even after you heard about all the churches that I consider apostate, that the Bible would consider apostate, I, I, I pray that you would get out of that church and really seek God in His Word like I'm talking about here. Not just listen to whatever they're teaching you every week, but really seek God in His Word like I just talked about here. And really cry out to God and ask the real God of all creation to show you and reveal Himself to you and show you, show you who Jesus Christ really is. Praise God. All right, on to our new message, our new message for this week. We're going to 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 16. Our title of our message is, Are You Still Satisfied with Christ? Are You Still Satisfied with Christ? 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 16, if you want to read along with me. Otherwise, you can just listen along. Bible says, verse 1. Paul says to Timothy, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. Verse 3, Honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Do not let a widow under sixty years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man. Well reported for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. Therefore I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the, uh, to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows." So last week we studied Paul's commandments to Timothy's to be very strict on living a super godly lifestyle and making sure that he teaches the correct biblical doctrines of, God, of, the, of God's word. Because as Paul said in verse 16 of last week's verse, he said, uh, Continue in them, for in doing these things or this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Today, today, this week, we're going to study more of Paul's commands to Timothy, but this time, uh, Paul commands Timothy on how he should be treating his congregation, how he should be treating his church members. He shows us there, right in verses 1 and 2, he says right away, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. 
So the first charge Paul gives Timothy is broad. Okay, It's geared toward teaching Timothy how he should handle speaking with his church members who have maybe sinned. Right? Uh, Sally is uh, backbiting Susie. Right? And, and, and Paul's telling Timothy here, Hey, Timothy, here's how you're supposed to correct your church members if, you know, maybe they're in some type of sin. So Sally is saying some things about Susie. Oh, did you know Susie's this? And did you know Susie's that? And did you know this? And did you know that? And so, of course, Bible speaks against backbiting. We shouldn't be backbiting as Christians, anybody, right? Because we're supposed to be just coming to one another in love and talking to each other, not talking behind each other's backs. So in this case here, for Sally backbiting Susie, Paul says to Timothy, Hey, Timothy, don't rebuke Sally. What is a rebuke? A rebuke is a harsh thing. Hey, don't come to Sally and go, Sally, what are you doing? You, what do you think you're doing? You're, you're an idiot. You shouldn't be doing those things. What's, what's wrong with you? He says, don't, don't, don't rebuke Sally with harsh words and a harsh tone, but exhort Sally, or, or in other words, strongly encourage Sally to do it the right way. Uh, strongly encourage her in love to stop her wrong action like you would your father or your mother or your brother or your sister. Hey, Sally, uh, can I have a meeting? You know, let's, let's go into my office and talk. Hey, Sally, you know, um, I've been hearing that, you know, so-and-so and that you're saying these things about Susie. And, and you know, Sally, that's not really what God wants you to do. You know, Sally, uh, the Bible says we're not supposed to be backbiting one another. And, and that's how Paul says that correction should be handled from a pastor to his congregation. So Paul says, when you have to correct a church member, I really like how God put this to me here. He says, don't beat them over the head with a brick Bible. Rather, correct them with kindness and and love in an encouraging way. Why does Paul say to encourage somebody in a, in, a, in a loving way rather than rebuke a church member? Now, we're not talking about the heathen that's on the street. We're talking about somebody that's in your church, somebody that's been going to your church, a member of your church, the way a pastor handles the member of their church. Why would Paul say to do and handle the correction in this way? Well, the key word is love. Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about treating others with love. He says, if we don't treat others with love in all that we do, we're like, we're like, clang, we're like a clanging cymbal or, or we're like sounding brass. And if you know what those things sound like, you know, and you're just listening, imagine, you know, in the old days, I don't know how many older people I have listening to me today, but in the old days when you used to turn on your TV and you used to switch to channels and you weren't on a channel that had a station, you'd hear this static. <sighs> And you didn't understand anything about the static. It was just kind of static. Well, that's kind of what he's saying. Without love, without love, without coming to somebody in love if they've done something wrong, somebody that's in your church now, you're just like sounding brass. You're just a clanging cymbal. They, they, don't, they, they can't understand you. They're, they just kind of shut you off. And in my experience, generally in my experience, coming from my experience too, because I've been, this is, this is a situation that's been handled wrong with me in the past too. When somebody comes at you, and let's say you've done something wrong and, you know, you have done something wrong, but your leader or your pastor or even your boss at work comes to you and they just start beating you over the head. Generally, you have a tendency to just shut them off. I'm not going to listen to them. What, I don't, what are they saying? Like the old Charlie Brown, right? Charlie Brown used to be sitting in class and, and the teacher would be speaking. Wah, wah. 
I don't know if you guys remember the old Charlie Browns, you know, when he was sitting in the classroom. Kind of like that. You just don't, it's just like, I'm not listening to that person. They're not speaking to me with love or kindness or, you know, they're just, they're just beating me over the head. I don't forget that. I don't need that. So it's important as a leader or pastor of a church to be handling your congregation in love and with a gentle exhortation, not a harsh rebuke. So that's pretty much what Paul says there. Next, Paul goes on to tell Timothy in verses 3 through 16, which widows the church should honor or not honor. Look at verse 3. He says, honor widows who are really widows. Now the context here, we're not just talking about any kind of honor here. The context for honor here is, and we'll see as we go through our verses here, is that Paul's telling Timothy which widows you should really support versus which widows you should not support, okay? Because this is all about supporting widows, not just giving them honor like, oh, wow, look at that great lady, look at that great lady of God, oh, that's, oh, giving her honor that way. It's about supporting her, as we'll see as we go throughout the rest of the text. And by supporting a real widow in need, I'm not just talking about the church, <clears throat> excuse me, giving her a few dollars here or there, or, you know, oh, uh, you know, here's a, here's a cup of coffee or here's one meal. No, I'm talking about, Paul's talking to Timothy here about a real widow being fully supported by the church. The church taking in a, a real widow and letting a, a real widow either live with a member or a congregant or, or letting a widow, you know, live on the church commune. We had a little bit different of a church back in these days as we have now. Most of the early churches were all kind of congregate. They were all kind of communal churches. They had a big kind of camp, and, and we look it down upon that today. But that's how the first church, the first churches were. They kind of had a, a community church. It was like kind of like a little like a little society inside the church. And it wasn't just four walls of a building. It was kind of more of a societal thing. And they had a church and they had a little, like a plot of land and they had the church and, the, and they would kind of live all together. And so by supporting the widow, we're talking about a widow actually being supported, receiving full support, food and clothing and shelter until she were to die. That's the support we're talking, that Paul's talking to Timothy about here. So Paul's not talking about a light thing for the church to do. You know, supporting a person can get very costly. And you guys know that today. Uh, supporting a person is not, uh, it's not cheap. So God's church just can't afford to support every woman that, say, that says that they're a woman, uh, widow in need because some would say they're in need, but they really wouldn't be in need, right? I mean, that's going to happen, right? Some would say they're in need, but they're really just kind of being lazy. And they, oh, I want you to help me and I want you to support me, but they really don't need support. They just kind of being lazy or they're looking for a handout. So what classifies a widow woman really in need of help versus a widow woman that doesn't need help or that's really not in need of help? So Paul classifies them starting in verse 4. If you want to look at verse 4 again. He says, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. So here, the widow, the first stipulation or classification for a widow that would really need help to be supported would be that she must not have any other relative that's alive that could take her in. That could support her. So a widow, of course, as you know, is a woman whose husband has died. And here in this case, she's looking at being supported by the church. Paul says the first stipulation, my category is that she must not have any immediate family member who's willing to take care of her 
or that can take care of her, or that's alive to take care of her, I should say. And Paul clarifies this not to just mean any family member that could take care of her, because in verse 16 we read that it must be a family member that could take care of her that's a believer, that's a Christian. If you want to look at verse 16, I'm going to be jumping through all the different verses and hitting some back and forth. We're not just going to go 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Verse 16, Paul says, If any believing man or woman, that that would be a Christian, somebody that's saved, any believing man or woman has a widow, let them receive them, or relieve them, excuse me, and do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. So the first stipulation there upon a widow that really needs support would be a widow that has no believing or no Christian family members that that can take her in or no believing at all. They're not alive or they've moved away or they're not in anywhere or even if they moved away, you know, you could help the widow get to them. So they're they're gone or they're not alive or they no longer exist, okay? So that has to be uh, if a widow wants support, she must go to first her family members and then they must take care of her first. So that, why? Why did Paul say? So that the church would not be burdened with this taking care of her. God calls his church to take care of those widows truly in need, and those people truly in need, who have been truly left alone in the world, not just those pretending to be in need. How strongly does God think that a true Christian family member should take care of their own widow in need? Look at verse 8. He says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, speaking about now a, a Christian person that's you know has a family member in need or has a relative in need or has a widow that they should be taken care of, he said he has denied the faith if he doesn't provide for his own. And he says here he's worse than an unbeliever. So God looks upon a Christian family taking care of his family pretty, pretty strong. I'd say that he considers it pretty strongly concerning, concerning the statement, if you won't take care of them, you've denied the faith. And that would be the saving faith. You've denied the faith. You've denied my saving faith to you, and you're worse than an unbeliever. As a true follower of Jesus Christ, I do not want to hear God say to me when I see his face, you have denied the faith. That is not what I want to hear. Anyway, moving on. The first stipulation, widow wanting to receive help, fully supported life in the church, is that she can't have any Christian immediate family members to support her. But let's go on, because there's more stipulations that Paul says that the widow must meet to be fully supported by the church. Look at verse 5. Now, she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. So simply put, the widow who wants to be supported by the church must not have any family members that are believers that could take care of her, and she must be living a life that's truly focused on loving God, serving God, and spending time with God, and trusting in Him. Basically, you know, spending time with Him, relying on God. This is not just any person here. This widow that wants help, hey, she's she's done with the world, uh, she's truly a widow, you know, and she and she's in need, and she desires the Christian church to help her, support her. Uh, she has no one else in the world to help her. And, you know, in God's eyes, and even from her perspective, if that's really her lot, and that's really what's happened to her, you know, really, and she trusts in God, she needs to be relying on God. And in God's eyes, he says, you better be relying on me. Yes, it's happened to you, it's bad, it's happened to you, but Trust in me, 
and be spending time with me. So how would a church know if a widow woman was really living her life, loving and serving God, and if they should help support her? Look at verse 6. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. Well, the word for pleasure here is to live luxuriously. Lead a a life that's given to self-pleasure. So it's real easy to see if a widow would need support. Yes, she may not have a family member that would take care of her, but if she's living in uh, luxury, uh, you know, if she's living luxuriously, right? And you could see that easily by the way she dresses. And, you know, everybody in that time knew one another and they knew where they live. And she's given herself to pleasure, which we know what that means, right? Giving herself to pleasure. That means whatever pleasure she wants. Food pleasures, sexual pleasures, you know it. And that's why Paul says, She's dead there. She's, she's not even really a Christian. She may be a real widow, and she may not have anybody else to take care of her, but if she's wanting the Christian church to take care of her, and she's living in luxury and fulfilling every one of her pleasures, she definitely doesn't need God's church to take care of her, right? So the church could easily see that she's not in need of help. So the widow, again, that desires help must have nobody to take care of her, and really be in need and basically living a truly godly lifestyle. Paul says if they are folk, if, the, if, if they're not focused on living this kind of life, the church will not support them. So moving forward, there's more stipulations that a widow must meet in order to warrant the church's support. Look at verse 9. He says, Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man. So not only must she not have anybody to take care of her, and not only must she be in real need, and not only must she be living a truly, you know, a life so truly sold out to God, trusting in Him and, and hoping for His support and spending time with Him, but then she also must not be under 60. Why is this? Why would this be? Well, a widow under 60 is still... uh, young enough to work and support herself and she's old enough and she's absolutely young enough to still get married okay chances are uh, also he says uh, not not a woman that's also had more than one husband well why why would that be well if she has had more than one husband guess what when you have more than one husband you have more relatives and obviously he's saying this he says don't don't support a woman's under 60 she can get remarried And if she's had more than one husband, well, she's got lots of relatives. The church shouldn't need to support her. She should have lots of family members that should be able to take care of her. I know there's another thing to think about, about a woman not allowing, you know, God's church not supporting a widow who, um, you know, has been married more than one time. If she's been married more than two or more times, uh, well, you got to think about this. Not only does she have the family members to take care of her, she should have the family members to take care of her, but if she didn't have a hard time getting remarried after her first husband died, she wouldn't certainly have trouble getting another husband after that. I mean, what's the difference? Two, three, four, five? Just let her get married. This, this, this help that Paul's talking about giving a widow that's really in need and it's really coming into God's church for help should be uh, reserved. The help should be reserved for a widow that's really done messing around with the world. She's done messing around with men. She's done messing around with nonsense. And one who really wants to love and serve God for the rest of her life and really be set apart for God. And he gives the lastly, says, lastly, a widow that the church should support must have a history of, verse 10. She must be well reported of good works. 
if she's brought up children, so she so she's doing good godly works for people, good godly works for the church. She's brought up children, so she has bear, she has born children and raised them successfully and done a good job at doing that. If she's lodged strangers, so you know, taking in the the weary stranger that's 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 wandering around, that's in need of a night's sleep or something, you know, so she, that's another good godly thing. If she's washed the saints' feet, so she served the church. Not literally washing people's feet, like, oh, you got to get clean, but washing the saints' feet, that was kind of, washing the saints' feet was kind of a term that was used to, hey, I'm serving God's servants, right? I'm helping God's servants. Um, if she has uh, relieved the afflicted, so she's helped out those in need. She has diligently followed every good work. So she's, her, her life is, has to have a history of godliness, People around must know this widow that's wanting help as a widow that needs, you know, she's, she's helped others out. She's done good godly things. She's been a great godly woman. She's relied on God and she's trusted on God. She was only married one time and after her husband died, you know what, I'm done. I don't want to get any more husbands. I want to rely on God. I'm just going to trust in God. He'll take care of me. I don't need another man to take care of me. I'll, God will take care of me and that's the end of it. Summing up a true widow woman that the church should support, we see this. She should be a widow woman, 60 years old or above, who loves and lives for God with all her heart and is not one or and has not one truly saved or born again family member that is alive to take care of her. She must be a woman who has a history of just trusting in the living God and a history of doing good godly works for others. And has truly lived a life for God since her husband has died, not lusting for other men, nor living a life set on pleasing herself, right? But God and others. Now, those are some pretty strict requirements to help fully support a widow woman in need, right? But again, remember, if every widow woman that came to the church said, I need support, and you know, the church started supporting them all, how, how would the church be able to do that? I mean, you, you'd probably, have, once once every widow woman out there learned that uh, that the church was supporting widow women, they, whether they deserved it or not, they'd be coming to the church. And what would that do? That would burden the church financially. As Paul said in verse 16, let the family members relieve those widows who are really widows if they have them, because that would relieve the church for financial burden. You know, if any of us, including God's church, were to get over financially burdened, then what happens? Well, it's not very long before it, they go under, right? No, nobody can last under financial burden, under financial strain. It's going to collapse. And of course, God doesn't want his church collapsing. So only take care of the widows who are really widows, those who really need help. So of course, now that Paul has classified the widows the church should support, he must classify the widows the church should not support. So read verses 11 through 13. He says, But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun, begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. <clears throat> and besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not to say. 
So Paul says, he says again, he reiterates here, do not support the younger widows. And he gives the reason of, of falling into sinfulness because this, this can be a problem. Now, this section here that we're reading now, that we're about to study, it can easily be taken out of context. Younger widows could really think that they are doomed to hell if they are to remarry. But it's not quite that cut and dry, and younger widows aren't just condemned for just any reason if they get remarried, but let me explain. First of all here, it sounds like Paul is saying that if a younger widow gets married, she's leaving her faith in Christ, headed, or, headed unto condemnation, which is, which is hell. But is that really what he's saying? Is he really saying that a widow is just condemned to hell if she gets remarried, period, the end? Not quite. If Paul was really saying that a, that a younger widow should, uh, should not get remarried, and if she does, she's condemned to hell, he'd be contradicting what he says just a couple verses from here. Read verse 14. He says, Therefore I desire that the younger widows marry, that they bear children, that they manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. So he says, hey, he just encouraged younger widows to get married. He didn't say, oh, younger widows, oh, if you remarry, that's it. You're doomed to hell and that's it. There's no help for you. He just encouraged younger widows to get remarried, to be responsible, to take care of their household, to take care of their children, to raise up more children, so that what? The devil would not have a foothold on them and get them to fall into some type of sexual sin. And even just one of the dangers of a young widow not remarrying are found in 15. For some have already turned aside to Satan. So if a younger widow does not get remarried, she has the, the chance, I would say, Satan has the opportunity to go after her and attack her because now she's had a man, she, she, you know, she's had a husband, she's, uh, you know, now she's lost her husband, but she still has desires. She still is young enough to raise a family. Of course, now Satan's going to come after her and get her to fall into some sexual sin. So no, a younger widow is not just doomed if she gets remarried and gets into the household. Those things are good for her to do. That way the devil's not able to make her slip into some sexual sin and, and follow after him again like the widow did before they were ever saved. Because this is talking about, now mind you, a godly Christian person here. This is a, talking about a Christian widow. So why does Paul say in verses 11 through 13 that a younger widow is condemned if she remarries because she's left her first faith? Well, I'm going to go back through 11 and 12 and I'm going to show you clearly what he's saying. He says in verse 11, but refuse the younger widow. Now, we already know that the younger widow should get married. So let's look on another side of it. But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, that's, that's important, they desire to marry. Listen to their condemnation. Having condemnation because, because, now they've grown wanton against Christ. That's important. Remember that having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. Now think about that. It's clear here that their condemnation unto hell comes because they got remarried because they grew wanton against Christ. What does it mean to grow wanton against Christ? 
That means that Jesus Christ is no longer enough for them. Or they only want a man because Jesus Christ is not enough for them. It's not that they just want to have a, you know, a, a husband because they desire to still raise a family and you know, have a life and not be a burden to the church. No, their desire to get remarried is because Christ is not enough for them. And it's probably because they solely desire a sexual thing from a man, not necessarily because they even desire to raise up a family again. And once Jesus Christ no longer satisfies them, not only do they want a man only to satisfy them, but they start to, verse 13, they start to, and besides besides that, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying all things that they ought not. They start doing what? They start only wanting a man to satisfy them, and then they do what? They start falling into all kinds of sin talking bad about people, wandering from house to house, just causing trouble. They start a life of sins. It's always a a downward effect. Once Christ is not enough, then we need something else to fill us. And then once we need something else to fill us, then then even that's not enough. So then we have to go around causing problems for other people. It's always a snowball effect. So the church does, does need to support those widows that fit the stipulations that Paul lays down here, those that are over 60, have no believing family members to take care of them, and are focused on doing good works and living a real godly life unto God and mankind. And again, God is definitely interested in helping those widows that are really in need of help and really have no other way to support them. And he's really interested in helping them. And no, the church should not support those widows who are really not in need. Those like the younger than the 60, and they have believing family members to take care of them, and they can get remarried, and they can have a family, and they can start a new family, and so they won't become a burden to God's church. Paul's writing to Timothy here is cut and dry clear. It's it's how Timothy should talk to anyone in his congregation that has committed a sin. He says, hey, remember, don't do it with a harsh rebuke, Timothy. Pastors, don't rebuke your congregational people. Love them. Encourage them. Be kind to them. Love them. That's good. Exhort them. Don't hit them over the head with a brick Bible, remember. And Paul's direction here to Timothy is pretty clear as far as what type of widow the church should support. It's, it's, it's easy stuff, right? Easy, easy, easy stuff. Really simple. Uh, handle and speak to your congregation in a loving way. Help those widows who are really in need of help. And they can't help themselves. Easy, plain, cut and dry, no hard, no hard at all. That's not hard at all. Um, but there, so there is really nothing else that can be said about these, these simple things, right? Pretty plain and dry, cut and dry, you know. But as I was praying, I, I was asking the Lord, I said, but you know, Lord, here, here we have another one of those sermons, kind of like the requirements for pastors that want to be people that want to be pastors and those that want to be deacons. And I said, you know, Lord, I, I see that. I said, but, you know, what else is there in this message, Lord? What else is there in this message? Oh, there is something else in this message that I must address. Past these simple few things. There's show, there's, there is sure a whole lot that I can say about Paul said how a younger widow can fall into condemnation 
because they become wanton against Christ. Or they just want a husband in their lives because they're no longer satisfied with Jesus Christ. Hence the title of the message. Are you still satisfied with Christ? First of all, I hate to beat a dead horse, but I have to. But I want to go back to the evil belief that, that says in our world today, once a person gets saved, they're eternally saved and secure, and they're going to go to heaven no matter what they do after they get saved. Well, what did verses 11 and 12 say again? But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ. Well, you can't, if you're already against Christ because you're lost, then why would you hear a widow now be going wanton against Christ to have a husband or a man? If she's already against Christ, that wouldn't even have to be said. So this is a young Christian widow. This is a lady that's been saved, okay? But yet here she's grown wanton against Christ. They desire to marry. Listen, having condemnation because they've cast off their first faith. Well, what is their first faith? Of course, their first faith is their saving faith. The, the, they came. They, they came to Christ. They were saved. They, they got born again. They got saved. And yet they've cast it off because they've grown wanton against Christ. So they cast off their first faith in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ stopped being enough for them. I'm not saying here that this young widow woman here that's grown wanton against Christ, she lost her salvation like you could lose your salvation or lose your sock in the dryer. That's not what I'm talking about here, right? I'm talking about she cast it off. It's something that she purposely did because she grew wanton against Christ, because Christ was no longer enough for her. Paul is very clear here. And he says that Jesus, when Jesus Christ stops being enough for the young widow woman, they will lose their first faith and fall into condemnation. This is not, ladies and gentlemen, once saved, always saved. This is not once saved, always saved at all. Uh, I, I've said it over and over. This says here, the Bible says that a saved person must endure in their faith and love in, for Jesus Christ until they die in order to attain the prize of eternal life that God has for you. And on that note, I can't just end it with the young widow woman here, or the young widows that could get remarried, that the church shouldn't support. I have to tell you here that this is something that any Christian can do. If a young widow woman here that's lost her husband, has made Christ not enough anymore for her. This can happen to any Christian, ladies and gentlemen, at any time of our lives after we've been saved. This can happen to us. God spoke this very thing to me a couple weeks ago at work, and he said this. He says, for a Christian, if Jesus Christ stops being enough for them, they're in trouble. 
God just spoke this to me. And I hadn't read this section of scripture over for study for Sunday morning service yet. He just spoke this to me. I think I was having trouble that day with this same issue. I was like, you know, I was thinking to myself and and it seemed to me that Christ was no longer enough. And I had to have a reality check. I was like, oh my gosh, God spoke this to me. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. No, Christ is enough. No, I don't need the stuff of this world. Christ is enough. Jesus told us of these dangers in the parable of the sower and the seed. He tells us about them in the third seed. He says, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed some here, some there, and then the third seed, he says, and then he sowed some among the thorns. And then in the interpretation of this parable, he says, now he received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word of God and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Well, you can't become unfruitful, ladies and gentlemen, unless you've been fruitful, right? A a, a weed doesn't just choke a seed, right? A weed, once it grows up, will choke a fully blooming plant. We have these plants right right outside here in our backyard at our home here in McKinney, Texas. And every year, me and my wife find that this darn weed is growing up from the ground and it's this vine. And what is it doing? It didn't, it's not bothering the the little roots. It's not bothering the, the seed of the bush. It's wrapped around the branches. It's growing up and it's choking out these beautiful bushes that we have. If you cannot be, you cannot become unfruitful if you haven't been fruitful. With this seed, the person gets saved, yet as they're growing in God and Christ, The stuff of the world becomes a stronger draw to them than Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ stops being enough for them. And so they're choked out as the plant is choked out. What happens to a plant that gets choked out? Well, it dies. It doesn't just become unfruitful. It dies. Now, all this being said... Where are we at? Where are each one of us? You are listening to me out there in the world. You are sitting with me in my home. Where are we at with Jesus Christ today? Are you like that widow that became wanton against Christ? Have you become where Christ is not enough for you? Is Christ still satisfying you? Only you And God know this answer to this question. But look at what Jesus Christ says about desire or about satisfaction. Matthew 16, 24, he says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow after me. What must have to come first? Desire. Those who desire to come up after me. And what about when we're walking with him? If you stop desiring him, are you still going to pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow after him? I was just discipling a young man most recently, and we were doing really good, and he took the word, and he was growing real nice. And all of a sudden, problems came into his life. And now, all of a sudden, I just don't hear from him hardly no more. What happened to his desire to follow Christ. 
Well, he obviously let the stuff of the world impede on his desire and choke out his desire. And he lost his desire because the things of the world choked him out. So we have to ask ourselves today, do we still desire Jesus Christ? And do we still desire to follow him or not? Look at what he says about desire in the next verses. Matthew 16, 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever desires to live for himself, whoever desires the things of this world, whoever desires to satisfy his own fleshly being and wants to rule his life, whoever desires to rule his life will lose his eternal life is what he's really saying there. But he says, whoever loses life for my sake will find it. You desired to walk after Christ? You've lost the desire to rule your own life? You've lost the desire to only fulfill your earthly needs and your earthly pleasures of your earthly body. Now, when you lose that desire for his sake, not just for any reason, but for his sake, then the Bible says here, he's, Jesus says here, you will find eternal life. When you surrender and when Christ continues to satisfy you and be enough and you continue to endure, then you will gain eternal life. So how about loving Jesus Christ and being satisfied with him? Do you love him more than anything and everyone in your whole life? Well, he said you better. Matthew 10, 37, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. You can start off good that way, but what happens if you start to love those in your life more than Christ 10 years after you came to Christ? And he says, he goes on, he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And you can even add to that and say, he who loves his car more than me. He who loves his TV more than me. He who loves his wife. He who loves his job. He who loves his house more than me is not worthy of me. So do you still love Christ today? And does he fulfill you and your desires still today the way he did when you first came to him? So I plead with you today. Examine yourself and your walk with Christ. Are you still really living a life of love for Christ and having total faith in Him, putting your whole life totally in His hands, just like I talked about on Christmas Day, and you can listen to that message? Or have the things and the cares of this world choked out your relationship with Him? Only God and you know this answer to this question. But I do pray that everyone that's listened to me This message today will go home and fall on their knees and cry out to God and ask God, God, do I still love you today the way I loved you when I first came to know you? How do you, Lord, how do you think that I still love you? Do you still think I love you the way I did many years ago? It's something that we must do. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. What happens if we start doing the will of the Father in heaven, but then we stop? 
And we know this will of the Father in heaven is that we surrender totally to Christ, submit our lives to his lordship, decide to love him over everything and everyone in the world, and we do this until we die. Where are you at today? Many, and especially in America, think that they're okay with God. They think that they've been saved. They think that they're okay with God because they came forth to the altar. They prayed a prayer. They had a really emotional experience. They cried out to God. They, they felt God's Holy Spirit. They felt born again. Yet now, many in our world today, especially in America, that will tell you that they love Jesus Christ, you can't tell the difference between their life and, and the, the Satanist that lives down the street goes to the church of Satan. Can't tell any difference. Many of them that say they love God don't act any different, don't serve God in any way, don't ever want to talk to you about God. And yet, I've said this many times because at work many people ask me, I say, how you doing, Ed? And I say, oh, I'm great, thanks to Jesus. And they go, wow, that's really awesome, man. I'm glad you said that. I said, well, here's my response. I said, well, don't we love or don't we talk about what we love? And I love Jesus Christ. So I love to talk about the one I love. I talk about my family, my parents, my wife, my kids, but I also talk about Jesus Christ because I love Jesus Christ. And you talk about what you love. So examine yourself today. Many think they're in the faith, and maybe they were, maybe you were in the faith, but now maybe you've backslidden away. Maybe now Christ just isn't as important to you as he was five or ten years ago when you came to know him. The Bible says that he wants you to love him more than anything and everyone in this world because that's how he showed you his love in the beginning. He gave up everything to have you. I have you and are you still loving him and giving up everything to show him that you love him still to this day. Where are you at? Please seek God, because you and God know, and if he's convicting you right now, you know what you ought to do. Go home, fall on your knees, and cry out to God. Or if you're home, fall on your face before God, and cry out to him and apologize, and repent, and get right before you get left. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for your word today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for uh, how your word is just so clear on so many issues, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord God, that, you're, that you speak to us, Lord, that you, that you gave us your word, Lord, to lead us and teach us and guide us, Lord. I, I pray that, that everyone and everyone out there that's listening to me, Lord God, that they would just read the Bible for what it says. They would not listen to deceiving teachers that want to make them feel safe and so that they can live any way they want, Lord. I prayed it. You would show everyone and everyone that's listened to me today, Lord, anywhere and everywhere, Lord God, that they must endure to the end. That if they're that, that if they're just say, oh, I'm just backslidden, I, you know, I'm all right. I just, you know, I'm just not as high as where I used to be. Well, the Bible says that you need to get right. And God wants you to love them more than you love anything and anyone else in this world. So please, dear God, I pray that you'd get everybody that's listened to me, Lord God, in the right place with you and bring them to their knees and under repentance that you would again become to them more or as much as you were to satisfy them as much as you did when they first got saved, when they first came to know you.
Please, Lord, cut people to the heart with this message, Lord, and bring them back to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Everyone, it's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015 and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you and have a wonderful day.